Well, thanks for uh, asking me to research this one. This was uh, interesting. I learned a lot whilst doing it. Uh, so, an uh, introduction to the life and times of Martin Luther uh, and the Reformation. Uh, so it's interesting to note that uh, there's a lot of things going on at the same time in history here, which kind of feed in to each other. Uh, so the Renaissance, uh, the invention of the, the printing press uh, in 1452, there, Gutenberg's press, the ability to print and distribute literature are much quicker and in volume. Uh, the, the discovery of the New World by Columbus, of course, in 1492. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Uh, and the Reformation, uh, uh, a little after that, all happening around the same time. So if Martin Luther was born in 1483, in between the invention of the printing press and the discovery of the New World, uh, Leonardo da Vinci painted his famous painting of The Last Supper. Uh, in 1498. So this is the kind of period of history uh, that we're in. And then a particular significant date within Martin Luther's red timeline on the on the timeline there is 1517. And uh, the famous as we'll come on to the 95 theses which ended up splitting uh, the church. Found this uh, slide of the causes of Protestant Reformation again, pointing out how these different sort of historical threads fed into each other. And the Renaissance going on uh, with uh, Christian humanism, uh, leading people to question church authority more, um, placing increasing faith in human reason rather than just doing what they're told. Uh, the development. Uh, in Europe of uh, strong monarchs over and against the power of the church uh, and sometimes those monarchs increase their own power by supporting Protestant reformers in their country against the power of the Catholic Church uh, who had been the uh, the political power as well so there's um, sort of power struggles are going on in the background of this as well and uh, problems within the Catholic Church uh, as I think even many contemporary Catholics would would point to uh, the behavior of church leaders at that time uh, acting like kings fighting for power and sort of secular wealth and so on rather than acting as representatives of God they should have been uh, and many people at this time questioning particularly the practice of uh, indulgences, the selling of indulgences uh, to uh, tied to the, the Catholic doctrine of the idea of purgatory, uh, where you kind of work off, develop off your, your sin before getting into heaven, and the idea that the Catholic Church had that it, it, you could uh, do a good work, paying some money to the church, uh, and uh, the church uh, would uh, promise uh, that the person for whom you'd given the money, be it yourself or a relative or whatever, uh, would have less time in purgatory uh, in the afterlife. You know, we'll, we'll say more masses for them and so on that you've paid for and that will let them off some purgatorial time. <coughs> so here's an overview and then we'll go in, in more detail uh, through this. 
born in uh, 1483 and uh, I'm probably going to massacre some of these German names if anyone knows the German better than me do correct. Uh, Eiselben in uh, Saxony in Germany the son of a copper miner. Uh, while studying at the University of Erfurt he decided to join a monastic order uh, becoming an Augustinian friar in 1505. Uh, studied, got ordained, kept studying uh, theology. He was ordained in 1507 and then taught theology at the Univers University of Wittenberg. Uh, and whilst uh, he, among the books that he lectured on, particularly he gave lectures on the Book of Psalms and the Book of Romans, and whilst studying Romans, uh, Luther realised uh, that salvation was by faith and not by works. Uh, in 1510, he visited Rome on behalf of a number of Augustinian monasteries on uh, some sort of inter-church uh, uh, political matter, uh, and he was appalled by the corruption that he found at the, uh, the heart of the church in Rome. And Luther became angry about uh, this matter of indulgences, promised remission from punishments for sin. So on 31st of October 1517, a particularly significant date, he published the so-called 95 Theses, uh, critiquing the Pope and indulgences. Did he really staple them to the church door? Uh, he nailed them to the church door. We'll, we'll come to that, indeed. Uh, in January 1521, Pope uh, Leo X uh, excommunicated Luther. Uh, this is after the famous uh, Diet of Worms episode. We'll come on to that as well. Uh, in 1525, he married Katharina von Bohr, a former Catholic nun, uh, with whom he uh, then went on to have six children. Uh, Luther became involved in uh, controversy surrounding the Peasants' War of 1524 to 1526. The leaders of this sort of peasant revolt uh, were using Luther's arguments to justify their revolt uh, and uh, to their chagrin. Uh, Luther rejected their demands and upheld the right of the authorities to suppress the revolt. Uh, in 1534, Luther published the first translation of the Bible into German. This is sort of part of the anti-clericalism. Everybody should be able to read the Bible in their own language and make their own mind up about what it says and not just take the the authority's word for it. Interpretation for it sort of idea. So he translated the Bible into the vernacular and uh, died in 1546. What kind of Bible did they have at that time? So it would have been in uh, Latin and they're keen uh, to what kind of translation that we might know about now? Um, well, you, yeah, he wouldn't. So it's the yeah the Latin sort of Vulgate uh, translation. Was there one? Was there one accepted translation, or were there different? <coughs> um, I'm not entirely sure of the the answer of that. I know that the the. the, the um, most of them would have been just the transcribed Vulgate by is a at this point, even though they've got the printing press. Most of them will still be transcribed by hand. Uh, yeah, but as you say, by 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 the invention of the printing press, I presume they would have put the the Latin version of the Bible that they had into print form. But uh, it would mainly be ecclesiastical people who were trained to read Latin. Uh, 
and your average son of a copper miner or whatever in Wittenberg would not be able to read Latin and would not have a Bible in their own language and would get everything that they knew about what was in the Bible from hearing sermons in church. Uh, and, and probably large parts of what went on in churches would have been conducted in Latin if it's anything like what happened in, in England anyway. Um, when did the so, um, Bible get translated into English? Uh, so, um, not the King James wasn't the first one into English. Uh, there were uh, a couple, I think, slightly before that. Um, but that would have been later than this, because this is sparking the Protestant uh, Reformation and, and Luther is sort of sparking the idea of having the Bible in your own language. 1692? 1692? Yeah. Yeah. Wycliffe. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can go and you know, go to Oxford and see some of the places marked on the street where people were like burnt burnt at the stake for translating, translating the Bible into English and <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to uh, Luther deciding to become a monk uh, in July 1505, uh, a life-changing experience that led him to become a monk uh, in the middle of a thunderstorm. Uh, he feared for his life in this uh, thunderstorm and called out to St Anne, of course, the patron saint of miners, uh, and called out, save me St Anne and I'll become a monk, so say. Uh, and, uh, of course, he survived uh, the storm. Uh, his decision to become a monk disappointed his father, uh, but he said, well, I've got to keep my promise. Now, lots of scholars have, have kind of thought, well, maybe Luther thought that he wanted to become a monk anyway and knew his dad wouldn't approve, and this was a sort of ruse, like, well, I've made a promise, haven't I? I've got to keep it, kind of a way of him sort of convincing his family to let him do it. So who knows? Uh, he said he had been uh, besieged by the terror and agony of sudden death in this storm. And his father, so say, replied, well, may it not prove an illusion and deception. So um, had a bit of a falling out with his dad over this. He wanted him to keep studying at university and become a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> uh, Luther was also driven by fears of hell and God's wrath and felt that life in a monastery would help him find salvation. Where we come on to the uh, what's called a sola fide, faith alone, a salvation by faith alone. In his early years, whenever Luther read what would become the famous Reformation text of Romans 1.17, his eyes were drawn not to the word faith, but to the word righteous, who after all could live by faith, but those who were already righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. The text was clear. The righteous shall live by faith. The young Luther could not live by faith, 
because he was not righteous. Was his was his thought, right? Meanwhile, he was uh, ordered to take his uh, doctorate in the Bible and become professor at Wittenberg. And during lectures uh, on the Psalms and studying the Book of Romans, he began to see his way through this dilemma. And he said, at last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt this if I was entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. Uh, in the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy, David Whitford comments, the discovery that changed Luther's life ultimately changed the course of church history and the history of Europe. In Romans, Paul writes of the righteousness of God. Luther had always understood that term to mean that God was a righteous judge that demanded human righteousness. Now Luther understood righteousness as a gift of God's grace. He had discovered, or recovered, the doctrine of justification by grace alone. This discovery set him afire. Now it's interesting to read uh, thoughts of a Catholic on this. There's uh, some thoughts from the Catholic philosopher Peter Kreft. Uh, he says that Luther had never been able to find inner peace. He could not overcome his sense of guilt despite all his good works and prayers and penances and alms. His confessor advised him to read Romans. No more historically momentous advice has ever been given by a confessor. In Romans, Luther discovered the simple bombshell truth that God had forgiven his friends sins freely. Not because of Luther's works in Germany, but because of Christ's work on Calvary. That discovery freed Luther's spirit and ignited a fire that swept over Europe. The watchword of the Reformation became St. Paul's summary of the Gospel, the just, uh, the justified, the saved, shall live, have eternal life, by faith in Christ. Romans 1.17 Kreef uh, mentions that in uh, his work Christian Liberty, Luther explains that after the great liberation about faith, that we're saved by faith in Christ's work, not by our own work, comes a great liberation about works. They need not be done slavishly to buy our way into heaven, to pile up merits or brownie points with God, but can be done freely and spontaneously and naturally out of gratitude to God, not to get to heaven, but because heaven has already gotten into us. Thus they can be done for the sake of our neighbour, not for our own sake, to purchase salvation. When Luther taught that we are saved by faith alone, he meant by salvation only the initial step, justification, being put right with God. But when the Catholic Council of Trent, yeah, 1545-1563, said that we are saved by good works as well as faith, they meant by salvation the whole process by which God brings us to our eternal destiny. And that process includes repentance, faith, hope, charity, works of love, and so on. This is the famous sort of pointing to, look, Paul says salvation is by faith. But James, in the book of James, says, you know, faith without works is dead. Can such faith, you know, save you? Abraham was saved by works. Uh, 
and working. Yeah, so you know, Luther has rediscovered salvation is by faith, and the Catholic Church is emphasising, yeah, but you've got to have works, otherwise you're not saved. And Peter Kreeft is saying, actually, they were kind of talking past each other. <laughs> they were using uh, these uh, terms like salvation and justification, uh, salvation kind of in two different ways, <laughs> just as Paul and James are talking about the same thing in two different ways. Interesting, there's a 1999 joint declaration on justification between the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church. A joint declaration on the doctrine of justification by the Lutheran World Federation and the Catholic Church. that says this, Together we confess that as sinners our new life in Christ is solely due to the forgiving and renewing mercy that God imparts as a gift and we, received in, we receive in faith and never can merit in any way. We confess together that sinners are justified by faith in the saving actions of God in Christ. Such a faith is active in love and thus the Christian cannot and should not remain without good works. If it's not the sort of faith that produces works, then it's not faith. But you're not saved by the works, you're saved by faith. Yeah, right. So this is James talking about, it's not good enough just to have a notional, you have faith, you have belief in God, like the demons do and tremble. You've got to have faith that, that works because it's a genuine active trust and allegiance to Christ, which of course means that you're going to try and do good things in his name. But it's not as if he's, James is saying, do enough good things and you will earn the right to get into heaven. He's saying, put your trust and allegiance in Christ, which will mean you're saved, and then of course you will have the sort of faith that does works, right? There's a response to the Joint Declaration from another sort of grouping within the, the Catholic Church, uh, um, qualifying the statement a little bit. And they say it is, it is rightly stated in the Joint Declaration that there is a consensus in basic truths of the doctrine of justification. The Catholic Church is, however, of the opinion that we cannot yet speak of a consensus such as would eliminate every difference between Catholics and Lutherans in the understanding of justification. Lutherans and Catholics share the common conviction that the new life comes from divine mercy and not from any merit of ours. The gifts of God's grace do not depend on the works of men, but not in the sense that justification can take place without human cooperation. Uh, now, groupings within both communions raise caveats, objections, etc. But this, these declaration is pointed to that there is a sort of there is a central agreement that we don't earn our way into heaven; we get forgiven by grace when we have faith in Christ. But the details of how that works out, what theological language is used to describe it, and so on, there are there are differences. This joint declaration uh, was adopted by the World Methodist Council in 2006 and by the World Communion of Reformed Churches in 2017. So there is 
this sort of ecumenical discussion between the Catholic Church and the Protestant churches, which is nowadays pointing to, actually, we do at least basically agree <laughs> on this. It's not by earning salvation by works, it's by receiving it in faith by grace, which is interesting to note. So here is, you know, a famous sort of t stereotypical image of Luther nailing. Why did he nail his 95 theses to the door of the church? It makes a lot, much more sense when you work out that this is the university church, the chapel of, of, of the university that he's teaching at, and the church doors act as the university Facebook page. Anybody who had a notice or like a, you know, <laughs> the club will be meeting at such and such or uh, I'd like to debate the following subjects <laughs> with someone would nail something to the door. It's not an unusual thing that he's doing when he nails his 95 theses for disputation to the door. And he's not expecting this to be a, a big thing. He's just saying, oh, well, I've, I've, I want to complain about indulgences that a lot of people are up in arms with. And the, the Pope seems to be, you know, doing all this sort of worldly stuff. And I think we should have a good old theological dispute about it in the university. Uh, but other people copy his 95 theses and print it <laughs> and distribute it. Uh, <coughs> his challenge to disputation particularly was sparked by his anger that Pope Leo X's new round of, of selling indulgences to help build St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, to fund this big building project. And the 95 Theses included a devastating critique of indulgences, aided by the printing press. Copies of the 95 Theses spread throughout Germany within two weeks, and throughout Europe within two months. <laughs> and it kind of became a thing. Thesis uh, 86, for example, asks, Why does not the Pope, whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest Crassus, who is a famously wealthy Roman general, uh, why does he not build the Basilica of St. Peter with his own money, rather than with the money of poor believers? Right, so this is the kind of protest uh, at this sort of money-making you're making money off the backs of the poor just to build a big church. Any one of those 95? There were 95 questions. 95 kind of points of, well, what, what about this? Or why that? Yeah. Back to uh, Peter Kreeft. So the origin of the Reformation is often said to be Luther's act of nailing 95 theses uh, against the sale of indulgences to the church at the door, door in Wittenberg. But the, the scandal of selling indulgences was only the catalyst, not the cause of the Reformation. The Catholic Church soon cleaned, cleaned up its act and forbade the sale of indulgences at the Council of Trent, which we mentioned before, agreeing with Luther on this point. So uh, maybe because you know Luther made a, a big discussion about this, but actually the Catholic Church came to agree with Luther on, on, on that issue, which initially sparked it. So, the Diet of Worms. No, not that sort of diet or those sort of worms. Uh, the Diet of Worms. The Diet being a council. Uh, an imperial diet. 
uh, of the Holy Roman Empire called by King Charles V. An imperial diet was a formal deliberative assembly of the whole empire. And this diet was held at the Heislof Garden, Heislof Garden in Worms, Germany, which is an imperial free city of the empire. So if you ever wondered why Luther appeared before the Diet of Worms, <laughs> that's why. And they uh, called him uh, to appear before the Diet uh, in uh, April 17th, 1521 called him to acknowledge as his own the books that had been published in his name and to repudiate them uh, with an implied or else, of course, at this time. While he uh, acknowledged the books, he admitted that he'd used some inappropriate language in some of them, uh, but declared that he wouldn't recant the substance of his writings unless convinced of error by scripture or by reason. Now notice what's not on that list by the Pope telling me, <laughs> by, by the authority of the Pope, I will change my mind if you can show me in Scripture or by reason that I am wrong. Uh, otherwise, he stated his conscience was bound by the Word of God. So this is about where do you find your source of, of authority. Luther challenged the absolute authority of the Pope by maintaining that the doctrine of indulgences, as authorised and taught by the Pope, was wrong. Now, interestingly, have we seen the Church Council of Trent later came to agree with Luther that they wouldn't do that, uh, at least. Uh, he also challenged the authority of the Church by maintaining that all the doctrines of the Church not found in Scripture should be discarded. This is the other Sola of the Reformation, so we looked at Sola Fide, faith alone, this is Sola Scripture, Scripture alone. Luther maintained that salvation was by faith alone, Sola Fide, without reference to good works or alms or penance or the sacraments of the Catholic Church. Uh, so, you know, you can excommunicate me. I mean, I can't take I can't take mass at church anymore, but that doesn't mean I'm not saved. <laughs> right. <coughs> so through negotiations with his prince, Prince Frederick III, this is the the influence of powerful uh, royalty at the time. Luther had a letter of safe conduct to and from the hearing, because this, uh, but it was privately understood that Luther would later be arrested and punished. But to protect him from this, Prince Frederick had Luther kidnapped on his way home from Wittenberg and hid him away in uh, Wartburg Castle here. Whilst there, uh, Luther began his German translation of the Bible. Uh, Luther, uh, lots of people assumed that Luther was dead. <laughs> Uh, later on, he emerged from the castle. The emperor was distracted with other matters and didn't press for Luther's arrest. And he kind of uh, went away to areas that were more sympathetic uh, to the Protestant cause. Because of rising public support for Luther among the German people and the protection of certain German princes, the, the Edict of Worms for uh, Luther's uh, arrest and punishment was never enforced in Germany. So, in 1525, Luther married Katharina von Borre, and this is her portrait, 
Born into a noble family she, that had fallen on hard times, at the age of five, Katharina had been sent to a convent. But she and several other reform-minded nuns decided to escape the cloistered life and had themselves uh, 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 sm uh, smuggled out a letter pleading for help from the Lutherans, the new Lutheran Church of Luther. Uh, with the help of a fishmonger, this is great, this, uh, Luther uh, had the rebellious nuns hide in some herring barrels, smelly, that were then taken out of the convent after dark. So Luther uh, uh, then ensured that all the women found employment or marriage prospects as, as they desired, uh, except for Katharina, who basically refused all suitors and insisted on marrying Luther. <laughs> uh, over the next several years, as I've said, they, uh, they had six children. Uh, Katharina got involved in uh, business. Uh, she invested rather shrewdly in some farms and orchards and a brewery and converted a former monastery into the meeting into a meeting centre for Reformation activists. So she was uh, quite a powerhouse uh, in the relationship. Uh, Luther was a, a composer, a musician as well, a hymn writer. He born into quite a musical family. As a boy, he'd been in the boys' choir and played the flute. Uh, he advocated congregational singing, congregational singing, not just the choir singing in Latin to you, you know, uh, in the German language, saying, I wish to make German hymns for the people that the word of God may dwell in their hearts by mean of song also. It uh, helps you memorise it and so on. Uh, he also wrote, uh, this is fascinating, Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It controls our hearts, minds and spirits. A person who does not regard music as a marvellous creation of God does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. Because <laughs> of an idea of... Uh... <laughs> Gives you an idea of the kind of uh, rhetorical style that Luther wrote with and that sometimes got away from him in disputing theologically with people as well. Uh, but Luther wrote uh, both the words and musics of many hymns, most famously a hymn called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Which is our God. That's right. That's right. Uh, and he worked with various other musicians to create uh, music for church choirs and organs and published hymnals and, and so on. And again, it's all part of this drive to sort of give the religion and an understanding of religion to the common person in the pew. <coughs> Politics and anti-Semitism. According to many scholars, Luther's disavowal of that German peasants' revolt and his notion that the gospel has nothing to do with politics uh, facilitated a tendency towards political passivity among Protestant Christians in Germany, which in light of later history you could see how that might be a problem. Also combined with the fact that, in, particularly later in life, he wrote some very strident pronouncements against Jews. Uh, which raises the question of whether Luther contributed to the development of anti-Semitism, particularly within Germany, which again, in light of later history, you can see is kind of a big issue. Um, 
he was anti-Semitic. There's no sort of he like basically burned the synagogues and kicked the Jews out kind of thing. There's a lot of anti-Semitism around since time immemorial, isn't it? Yeah, I mean you can say he was a man of his time. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, does that? You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, maybe that was the thing back then, but uh, it certainly wasn't a thing that he took issue with. Whereas there were other things that were things that he took issue with, right? <laughs> this was not. This was one that that uh, that he didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was also an issue involved in royalty. There was a, I, I forget the name of the guy, but one of the royalty, you know, had sort of married a political alliance. Didn't really love his wife and quite fancied one of the chambermaids and wanted to to marry her, and uh, wrote to advice to Luther, uh, who basically said, "Oh well, you know, there's polygamy in the Old Testament. Go ahead." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I thought. I think you've, you've, no, you've, I <laughs> well, you know, was this politically expedient, or you know, it's 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 difficult at this removal, certainly with my level of knowledge, to to give more of an analysis. But I think it's important to sort of point out that for all the sort of important things that we look back to to Luther and the Reformation for. The guy's just a guy, and like the rest of us, ha has his strong points and his weak points, and is a sinner, <laughs> uh, as he would be the first to say. <laughs> so, I suppose to start with, it could have been that, yeah, in the same way that he was fighting against the Catholics about that they weren't following the words of Scripture yeah. as in the Gospel, he probably was thinking the same towards the Jews because they yeah. weren't following the Gospel; they were just following the Old T Old Testament. So I guess right. that's, I guess, where it. Uh, and you know what I mean, where it yeah, from, I guess. but the the level of sort of 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 of, of rhetoric and, and vitriol involved in that rhetoric uh, goes beyond uh, just saying I disagree with you, you know. Uh, but I think, think it, you know, whether that's a tendency of him and or a tendency of the the, the discourse of the time, um, you know. Uh, Unfortunately, Twitter is not the first medium of human communication to invent insulting one another in the process of religious and or political discourse. So, uh, yeah, and I think it's important to, to note. So anyway, here's a summary. If you get your own Playmobil figure, <laughs> you know you've made it uh, as a historical figure, basically. Um, uh, Luther sparked the Protestant Reformation. He criticised uh, indulgences. He refocused attention on salvation by faith. He stood against papal authority, translated the Bible into German, wrote hymns in German, conducted several theological controversies, such as a controversy over the nature of communion, uh, in rather intemperate terms, and possibly contributed to anti-Semitism. Uh, so there you are, the life and times of Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've just looked up my books and translated uh -huh. it into English. Um, so it's 
So it's just, it, and it's interesting because actually Wycliffe and others translated the Bible into English between 1392 and 1395. Oh, really? Um, but I don't think I don't think it was allowed to yeah. read the Bible in church until it didn't get wide circulation. Which was 1611. That is yeah. authorized to be read in churches, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's why it's called the authorized. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's six, that's 1611, so yeah. still a hundred years post, post. Yes, but it was translated into into English earlier than Luther, but not yeah. allowed to be used in English in churches until a hundred years later. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.